This is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports. Welcome to the show. Happy Monday. I'm Sean Drucker. Sandy Clough is uh, back from his uh, little break. Sandy, uh, look at uh, what tan rested and ready is, as, as we say, as we get ready for the Broncos' first preseason game uh, this week. Bad uh, uh, weekend if you were the U.S. women's soccer team. They ended up losing in the knockout round, quite frankly, by the time the knockout round rolls around, as expected, to Sweden, even though they played uh, better um, in four games, they scored four goals all by the Colorado kids, and the player they were missing the most was Mallory Swanson, also from Colorado. So any of the other 49 states would like to step up and score some goals next time, uh, feel free. Well, uh, no matter who is out there, it's hard to imagine that the U.S. team could manage but one goal in the final 300 minutes yeah. of competition. The last time I looked, that was five hours. That's correct. Um, yeah. Five hours, one goal. And playing to a one one tie against the Netherlands. Zero zero. Which by Portland. the way, they were lucky to they were lucky to get. Yep. Zero zero with Sweden for mm-hmm. hundred and twenty minutes. Right. And then missing two penalty kicks. Mm-hmm. And the coach saying later, Well, we work on that all the time. Obviously not enough. I mean, it's 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 those are pressure kicks. I get it, but I mean, the, you, you, you need can't to, miss two. You can't miss two, and you need to not get there in the first place. Uh, you need to be able to score a goal uh, in in regulation. Obviously, Vladko uh, Andonovsky is going to be looking for a new gig, but the U.S. needs to do some soul searching because I, I um, think so. And, and and again, we talked about it before the tournament began, and I know there were some complaints about the commentary, which I, I'm I'm sure. Is ninety nine point nine percent of the time a sure sign that you aren't terribly focused on the task at hand? You're more focused on your image and your ego, mm-hmm. and uh, however legitimate criticism were. Right? Yep. Uh, I I think they were justified by definition, weren't they? And they well, we always try. But do you hate to lose in the right. way Carly Lloyd, when she played, hate to lose? Yeah. yeah. Uh, I I don't know. I, I It wasn't apparent to me that they hated to lose. End of uh, uh, two given players. Given their reaction runs, after the Portugal. Uh, Meg Rapino, Julie Ertz, both uh, that their final appearance. Uh, right. Alex Morgan said she would not uh, retire following it. But uh, obviously, um, th- this is kind of what happens, I guess. And, and we'll get to the Broncos, obviously, well, in a moment. It, it, is it sort of the equivalent of the 2004 Olympic basketball. Yes, and that's where that's where I was going to go. Is eventually, look when when you when you're bringing it to a larger audience, what the U.S. did, the rest of the world starts to catch up, and you reach a point where you're no longer able to just kind of saunter in and win, and you get smacked in the mouth, and then hopefully you handle it right and come back better. Uh, it happened to the to the men, as you pointed out in 2004 uh, in basketball. Now it's happened to the women in soccer, and presumably they'll have to take a look uh, and realize, okay. Uh, You've had your run, and the rest of the world decided to catch up. Guess what? They caught up. So now what are you going to do? That's what they'll have to take a look at. So the next World Cup will be interesting. Of course, the NWSL will be uh, growing by that time. There may very well be a team in Denver. 
Uh, Sophia Smith is only 22. She should get better. Uh, Swanson will presumably be back. So uh, a lot of pipelines through Colorado. And keep an, keep an eye for the next coach as well. I mean, all things are are really up in the air. Even the idea that Pep Guardiola might be a, an idea where they may just swing for the fences and go for coaches. Uh, we shall see going forward. But the Denver Broncos have their first preseason game this Friday. It is the first a week where there is at least eh, something equivalent to a game for the Denver Broncos under Sean Payton over at Dove Valley today after practice. He explained a little bit of what that first week means. So there's a, there's a lot to cover relative to everything from when we're traveling, dress, meeting schedule, locker room, all of that. And then I think more specifically to your question, you, you know, you want to see, hopefully you want to see guys that are, that are playing full speed and they know what to do and, and, you know, you're able to evaluate them versus a different scheme. You know, we've been seeing the same offense or defense. So now we see a different opponent. Um, hopefully mental errors are reduced and, you know, it's a game always with mistakes. So I keep talking to them about getting on to the next play. That's important. So, Nothing, I think, ground-breaking there. But, again, the idea of just let's cover the basics. Let's make sure that we're doing what we're supposed to do. And, and I appreciated the part, I think, where, again, when we look at practices and you get these breathless evaluation of every practice of what a seven-on-seven seven means and even what a preseason game means. I, I love that Peyton actually pointed out, he's like, it, we try to eliminate the mistakes, but it's a game of mistakes. And, and they will happen, and it's a matter of finding a way to mitigate them when they do. We will learn absolutely zero from any of these preseason games, I suspect. Uh, Certainly the first two. Maybe the third, depending on how they choose to play it. And it sounds as if he wants to play starters Quite a bit more than he the said 15, previous 17 snaps-ish. Right. I mean, you don't have total control over that. In this first that. game. Mm-hmm. So I'm yeah. assuming they play at least that much in the second game. And who knows about the third game? Different teams now treat the last game in different ways. And there is quite a break between the last preseason game and the opener of the regular season for most teams. And we're 34 days away from games that count. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it'll be a matter of curiosity, I think, as much as anything else, when we look at the Broncos on Friday night and grading them out will be virtually impossible because if they make a bunch of mistakes, it's the first game. and If they look great, it's the Arizona Cardinals, after all, who are one of the few teams going into the season in worse shape than the Broncos seem to be in. We were talking before the show, and you were looking at the depth chart, which I understand is not official. Right. But considering that certain people are out, and we know most definitely won't be starting the season on the active roster, Mm -hmm. I, I don't know that it's a great side that you could probably take 45 to 50 of the 53 players 
who will be on the roster and identify them right now, even before yeah. they play one preseason game. That's, that's why I said we'll learn absolutely nothing. Yeah, I mean, at the in these moment, preseason games, nobody is going to play enough. No. To play himself into or out of a job. Yeah, I talked about this when you were gone. The idea that uh, everyone looks at preseason goes, but Gerald Davis back in the uh, Tokyo. This isn't uh, back. This well, is the, the, the preseason of nineteen ninety-five, no, and nor is it the off season because back then it was possible for guys like Rod Smith and for Gerald Davis to slip under the right. radar. That is no longer possible. Every program is covered on television. You can mm-hmm. go onto YouTube to, today and look up every high school. A significant player in the country and look at their highlights. So guys don't just get discovered at the NFL level. They already have a pretty good idea of what you can do. It's a matter of if you're doing it and picking it up. But the moment I look at it and I say, I have at 43 players, I'm sure will make the team. And I'm leaning to about seven more, which makes it 50 out of the 53. <laughs> I, I'm not sure that's a great thing. Right. And, and that may be something of a concern. And, you know, we'll, it means we'll there's find no depth. Out. It means there's not a lot of depth. It means when you can pick it out right off the bat, it's not a lot of depth. And that's why a team has dropped to that many years without a playoff appearance as the Broncos have. But uh, Peyton was not done sort of laying down the law. He talked about the things that uh, you expected, but he also talked about the distractions. I remember Mendelik Watson six years ago uh, proposed during the game when he was off the field. Uh, Sean Payton obviously isn't going to have that, but when what you're talking about... What a wonderful memory that was. Uh, yeah, one of the few Metallic Watson memories there was, actually. But the idea that uh, things are going to stay focused, here's where I think it got interesting. Probably just as easy to answer the question is what I don't want to see. I don't want to see 10 guys in the field. I don't want to see uniforms off after we're done playing, sunglasses on. Gilligan's hats on, interviews during the game. Um, that's what I don't want to see. Um, but we'll communicate all of that. I mean, one. Well, Channel 9 will be disheartened by. I mean, yeah. Isn't, isn't, isn't Sean Payton the guy that wears a visor? Is the visor that much better than the bucket hat? Well, when, when he talked I mean, about, it, I, I, I want to see if you're <laughs> thinking of the same guy I'm thinking of when, uh, you heard the uh, reference to Gilligan hats. I'm thinking of one person and one person only. He's a Hall of Famer. Played here. Very familiar name still to sports fans. Well, I mean, Von Miller wore every kind of hat. Not thinking of Von Miller. Okay. Thinking of Shannon Sharp. Shannon Sharp. He's the only That's person right. I'm thinking of. Shannon Sharp. Gilligan hats. I also like that that uh, Sean Payton, I guess maybe that means I'm old, but I actually like the Sean Payton. Uh, he made me feel better because I always call them Gilligan hats, and sometimes I say that and people stare at me because they have no idea what I'm talking about, but uh, Sean Payton at least gets me. But, Gilligan hats. But a little weird. I mean, what's Gilligan's the difference? Island. Who cares about what kind of, I don't know, whatever. The, the hat you're wearing? It is Arizona. You know, it's just, yeah. it's hot out there. I don't really care about the hat that well, much, but whatever. Maybe the subliminal message is there is no one on this team there are probably a couple of exceptions. There's no one on this team who has earned the respect or the right to sport anything but a regulation interview during the game, even if said person is not playing. There are no sacred cows here. Yeah. And if that's subliminally the message, I have no problem with it. No problem at all because the Broncos have acted in recent years as if 
they have accomplished something. And maybe they've accomplished things that we aren't aware of. But the biggest accomplishment over the last seven years would have been qualifying for the playoffs, mm-hmm. and they haven't done that they even once. No. And in six of those seven years, they've had a losing record. So they, I, I'm not sure they deserve to be treated as full-fledged adults. Uh, having to say that publicly, even before he lets them know, uh, no interviews during during the game. Um, I mean, that's been kind of standard fare. I don't know if doing an interview during the game distracts you because you're only doing interviews when you're not going back into the game. Right. (laughs) But if he wants to change that part of it, uh, doing it the other way in the last seven years hasn't worked out very well. Yeah, well, and he said he would do everything opposite of Nathaniel Hackett, right? So we'll see. uh, Russell Wilson's going to play in game one. Within his rant a week ago, he shouldn't have just referenced Nathaniel Hackett. He could have talked about Vic Fangio. Sure. He could have talked about, well, his own defensive coordinator. His own defensive coordinator. And why not? He talked about his own general manager and his own president. True. And by implication, his owner. Mm-hmm. So why not throw Vance Joseph in there as another example of a first time head coach who got almost nothing right? Is is there a risk there a little bit? And I, I don't I, I guess I look at it and I don't want to overreact to it, but at the same time the whole, okay, don't the pick on these cats, don't wear sunglasses on the sideline. Okay, I get it. You're talking about this is how we want to carry ourselves. But I, I flash back to Tom Coughlin when he was coaching the the Giants and little stuff like, you know, okay, make sure your helmets are here, don't sit on the helmet. It, but it, but players kind of bristled because they I think somewhat fairly argued that this is not impacting our performance, so why do you care? Well, he cared, and I think there's evidence that along the way, once they had been a champion, uh, I won't say he became exactly avuncular, but he loosened the reins considerably. And ask Michael Strahan about that. Yep. And when he first got there, they were losers. And maybe they needed that discipline. And frankly, in Jacksonville, I thought he was even more insane on those points than he was with the Giants. And they did things that virtually no expansion team has ever done, including beating the best team in the American Football Conference in the playoffs back in 1996 in the divisional round here in Denver. A playoff loss that along with the Baltimore divisional playoff loss that followed the 2012 season will be long remembered in Bronco history um, alongside the Super Bowl wins, quite honestly, because the 1996 and 2012 teams, I think more so than the 2005 team that lost the AFC Championship game to Pittsburgh, and certainly the 19... 91 team that lost the AFC championship game in Buffalo. I think those two teams are the best teams the Broncos ever had that didn't win a Super Bowl in those two years. In in 96 and and 2012, and they lost games at home they had no business losing. But but Coughlin coached a masterpiece 
that day in 1996, and they gave a reasonable accounting of themselves against the Patriots the following week in Foxborough, though they didn't win the game. And, of course, we know Baltimore beat New England in Foxborough after they beat the Broncos here and then went on to win the Super Bowl, which may or may not have taken some of the sting out of losing to Baltimore since no one else beat the Ravens either. The idea of, I guess, you know, like like you said there, I think that's a good comparison. You know, Sean Payton can actually pull things pretty tight right now because he has the capital to do so. This oh, is absolutely. a team that hasn't accomplished anything. Right. Uh, he's brought in to make it that. And then eventually, you know, he can loosen that uh, as time goes along. We know that Justin Simmons is more than likely not going to play at a tweaked groin, as the, uh, the term might be called there. It sounds painful. But he will probably not play on Friday. He did not practice either Saturday or today, so I can't imagine... They'll run him out there. Javante Williams, by the way, also not expected to play more. Uh, game two is what at least the last we heard from Sean Payton might be willing to go out there and look at that. So the Broncos are going to play their starters. In fact, at one point last week, he was asked specifically, you know, did, did Russell Wilson, he said, you know, our, our, our players will play. It was asked if Wilson would be, would be included in that. And uh, Payton said, yes, he's a player. So, I mean, it was very clear that there isn't going to be any sort of uh, situations where you're off because you're, you're a veteran or you've accomplished something or whatever. It's going to be injuries or not injuries. Well, and that's that. N- none of these guys in Bronco uniforms, anyway, have accomplished anything. Right? Name one player in a Bronco uniform who has accomplished anything. Yeah, I mean, that's the... Look, you only had to go to Can't comments from one. Frank Clark, right? Who talked Can't about how the, the, <laughs> yeah. the Chiefs didn't even consider it a rivalry. Of course not. They were, Why would they? You know, the Broncos were speed bumps, and until they're anything and, else, and, that's you know, Speaking of Frank Clark, and uh, I appreciate his candor, too. I, I looked at this pass rush today, and, and Jeff Legwold had a little segment on it, ESPN.com. They went through all 32 teams, one of the biggest question marks or uh, closest competitions position by position for all 32 teams. And Legwald very candidly wrote about the pass rush or the edge rusher position as being long on potential and short on productivity. We've talked about that. Uh, A a frequent theme of Mm -hmm. ours on, on this program. And you go back and look, and you got Randy Gregory, who's in his 30s, and Frank Clark uh, in his 30s. And Frank Clark's had 23 and a half sacks over the last four years. Last year, he had double-digit sack numbers. It was 2018. He was playing for Seattle, Seattle. not yep. Kansas City, right. Seattle. Randy Gregory has had 11 and a half sacks in the last four years, one of which he did not play at all. And you're left then with Baron Browning, who had five sacks last year, but is coming off knee surgery and currently on physically unable to perform. And Nick Benito, who was quite frankly lousy last year in his rookie year, he's 23 years old. He had a sack and a half last year as a rookie and, played a fair amount because that was a big problem with the Broncos, who I think were 30th in sack rate last season. 
Well, what's the focus that you have to take if you're going to try to make that next leap? We'll talk about it. It is Mental Mondays with our friend Dr. Rick Perea. He'll join us next on My Life Sports. Please tell me there. This is Afternoon Drive with Anil Piro and Cody Rourke. This is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports. There we go. Hey, it's, it's, it's Monday, okay? That's the way it goes. It's Monday. But it is Mental Monday, which means we're joined by our friend Dr. Rick Prey of ThinkOneForYou.org. Uh, fresh from your trip to Canton, Ohio, where you were a guest of one DeMarcus Ware, uh, being inducted into the Hall of Fame, big well, Hall of Fame weekend, uh, sung the national anthem, talked about how uh, that was something he had done with Demarius Thomas uh, with regularity and wanted to kind of do that. But uh, a big weekend, and, and uh, just your thoughts on the Hall of Fame weekend in general. Yeah, well, thanks for having me, guys, on this Mental Monday. Just to let everybody know, you know, Mondays can be a great day, too, just like Friday. So we'll all make it great with some tips and nuggets for everybody out there. Uh, yeah, it was a great weekend. You know, they started with the game Thursday night and then um, into Friday where there was a bunch of things going on. Um, but we toured the hall. First time I've actually toured the hall. And... Um, you know, saw some some former Broncos there and some athletes I've been around, but um, yeah, and then and then again Saturday the ceremony day ceremony and then the party, <laughs> Demarcus's party Saturday night. You know, I've heard legendary things about these parties, and this one lived up to it. So it was a great time. Um, I was able to take my sons with me, and it was it was an, it was a very much a learning experience because um, you know, DeMarcus played for two teams. He played for the Cowboys in Denver and pr- primarily, or predominantly, for the Cowboys. And so he had a lot of representation there from, from Dallas and a fair amount of representation with Denver, but I was uh, interested by a few people that were, were not there as well. But um, Demarius was gracious. We, we had a great time. We had, took some great pictures. I spent some really good time with people like Danny Trevathan and Chris Harris Jr. and uh, Brandon Marshall, Malik Jackson. Yeah that Super Bowl 50 defense, and we had a great time. A um, little bit of dancing, a little bit of singing, and, and I actually spoke at, uh, at, the, at the gathering that night, and everybody was talking about what a great teammate DeMarcus was and football this and football that, and I got up there and just talked about him as the man, him as the person, the father, the husband, and right after I spoke, he got up and spoke, and he said, Dr. P's right. we got to learn how to be vulnerable with each other if we're going to grow and connect in this world. And so it was a very powerful evening, very powerful weekend. Um, so, and the last thing I'd like to say is, you know, if people haven't been out there, they should go because it's changing rapidly. Uh, the hall itself is not that big a building. It's, it's like three stories, but it's kind of circular. And um, there's a stadium right there connected to it. But, the, but they've really purchased all the land around there. And they're really be making it a place for commerce. You know, there's restaurants and bars. And I've heard they're going to even develop a water park there. So it's really going in the direction of generating revenue. Um, so I'd get there as soon as possible before it turns into uh, Elitch's or Disneyland. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, well, obviously, when you you see these these weekends of people who have managed to accomplish so much and and, and are awarded that uh, highest of honor, I mean, it's it's the kind of thing that you I think take a look at, especially in your line of work, the amount of focus and dedication that it takes to to make those moves. But in Ware's case, I guess uh, we've seen it with a few players, but long successful career with Dallas, yep. but then gets to Denver with the hopes of of winning a title does we saw that in this town office with ray bork of the, yes. the boston bruins yeah. same thing hall of fame player that would have been before he ever came to, to denver and gets over the top but uh the the challenges and you know a little bit about demarcus of making that move and, and uprooting everything you'd known trying to get a, a ring how much of that for guys sometimes feels like being a mercenary or how much of that changes the way you're perceived especially in these weekends when now you're associated with two teams but one with a lot less time than the other yeah well i think it was an interesting dynamic for demarcus to navigate because i think a lot of people perceived him as being just looking for a championship and the reality was he was just looking for a new opportunity and if that championship came along with it that was great and i think that's one of the things he has shared very publicly in my book and then he also shared the other night that when he came here from dallas he was a little bit lost as a person he you know obviously will go down in history as you know one of the great edge rushers 138 sacks i think i think he's eighth or ninth overall but what what demarcus really wanted to do when he worked with me was you know get a hold of his life as a person and he was able to do that, and really now he's helped others. And he started with 58 Vaughn Miller, and um, you know he's really impacting a lot of people. Jerry Jones is having him very involved with the Cowboys during camp as a tutor and a mentor, so he's doing that. Um, he's going to be on the board of Psyched, our organization that's created for suicide prevention. That's great news. Yeah, he's, he's excited about that. So he's really doing a lot of humanitarian things beyond the football field. And it, one of the things he said at his party on Saturday night, he said, we have to become more vulnerable people with each other. we got to be more open, and that's the only way we're going to connect. So I think coming to Denver for him was not only a football move, but it was a move where he was searching to find not only himself as a player, but as a person, and he's, he's done that. Well, his speech was the headline speech. Yes. To take nothing away from the other people who were inducted, but he stole the show with the speech. Oh, yeah. And, and go back to vulnerability, look what he did. Yeah. You know, he talked about, you know, his dad not being there for him and that he had to come to a point where he had to forgive him. And, he, you know, he said to his father, he says, you know, you said two words to me, I'm sorry. And he says, I just want you to know that going forward, I, I forgive you. And he did that on a very public platform, national platform. And you don't do that if you cannot be vulnerable. And so I think one of the things that he's really grown at is – allowing himself to to have a permission slip. That's what he said to me. He says, Doc, you've given me a permission slip to be open, honest, and vulnerable. And I think that's where, in my book, he's one of the greatest players I've ever worked with from the neck up. And, of course, we know, and I've learned this from you, that forgiveness is about your own healing. Yes. Regardless of how the person you're forgiving receives that forgiveness. That's right. That's right. And and when you do your own work and you're open and honest with yourself and reflective, how can I learn? How can I get better? Then and only then can you forgive those around you. And I think, you know, one of the things that happened the other night is um, a very well-known person pulled me aside after I spoke. 
and he says, you changed the whole tenor of this, of this party. He said, there was music playing, we were all celebrating, and now everybody's thinking. You got everyone to think in this audience because I said, you know, the only way that the only reason I'm here and I, I brought three of my sons and paid airfare and paid hotel and all that stuff. The only reason I'm here is not for those 138 sacks It's not for the Super Bowl victory. It's not for that. It's because of the man that I know, the father, the husband that I know and the role model, because we need that in the NFL. We need more guys like D Ware that it, that's a great person and. I'll tell you what, it, 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 it was so ironic that the guys, like, like, like those guys I just named from the defense, all those guys, Chris Harris, Danny, Brandon, all those guys, Malik, those uh, uh, TJ Ward, I don't want to leave out boss. <laughs> but all those guys were my guys. Those were guys that I worked with. And so ironically, you can't tell me there's not energy in the universe. That the, the people that came to support D. Ware were also the same guys that worked with me. You... you- got a more receptive audience from the defense in 2015. I did. Probably than you did from the offense. I so did. I'm generalizing. Yeah, Obviously, no, there might right. be exceptions. Right. But it seemed that the defensive guys, so self-assured, yeah. uh, cocky perhaps, they were coming to you yeah. more than the offensive guys who, generally speaking, were more reserved yes. and a little more distant. Right. Yeah, it, which is fascinating to me. It is. It is. Well, when you think the about defense was a stronger unit, and yet the defense sought you out more aggressively. Oh yeah, there was more of a connection there. I think they saw you know defensive guys. I don't know if people realize this. We research this. It takes eighteen percent more energy to play defense than offense. You're you're playing reactionary football. Offense is assignment football. So defense takes a different personality. It really does. You know, um, I think. Dion got in trouble a few months ago by talking about stereotyping what he wants his quarterback, what kind of family he wants his quarterbacks, his offensive linemen to come through. But there is some truth to that in the sense that, you know, defensive players have to have a really a few screws loose, a few, uh, you know, the ability to just throw caution to the wind and go after things. The term you've used is psychologically wounded. Psychologically (laughs) wounded. There it is. They have to be, and and, uh, ironically, the more psychologically wounded they are, usually there's a correlation with being an effective defensive player. And being vulnerable, too, actually. There you go. Isn't that interesting? There's a correlation Mm -hmm. there, too. Being vulnerable and throwing it, Caution to the wind out on the field are, are very synonymous. And even the guys that did reach out to me, the, the Emmanuel Sanders of the world, the Demarius Thomases of the world, are yeah. those kind of guys too. Yeah. You know, the ones that just threw caution to the wind. They were I, the two guys who weren't afraid of the defense. That's right. Yeah. Emmanuel could play both ways, and he would tell them that way too. You know who else was there that I, I have to mention was, was C.J. Anderson. And I, I got to oh, tell you. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, he was there, and he, he was um, he was giving me a hard time because I, I told him I could beat him in bowling. I, apparently, he's a really good bowler. Uh, yeah, yeah. I didn't know that. <laughs> I didn't oh, know that. Oh. You found that out. <laughs> yeah, I found that out. But he, you know, he was very open and honest, and we connected and exchanged numbers. So it was a really great time, and I think a great time for, for DeMarcus, you know, he goes in as a cowboy and a Bronco, if you will. But I just really think it's something that a lot of uh, pro football players and coaches and GMs and EVPs and owners can um, aspire to be is to help their players have a sense of wellness, have a sense of mental health that they're proud of, both on the field and off the field. And as long as we keep being open and vulnerable and willing to, 
to share that with each other, our friends, uh, in all our relationships, we'll have a chance to, to be better as people, not just great athletes, but great people. For uh, this Broncos team, and you talk about, I, I think about uh, the, the player that's you know won their man of the year a couple times, Justin Simmons, another guy that's that's very much like that. Simmons uh, will miss the first play uh, preseason game, presumably for the Broncos because of an injury. But I, I want to think about that for Simmons. I guess been been a leader, been a leader in the community, been basically the, the face of the Broncos during this long bad stretch, most of which has not been his fault. Now there is an opportunity to hopefully make the playoffs. The Broncos hope that's the case. But if you're someone like Simmons, and he's the longest-tenured Bronco uh, that has yet to ever appear in a playoffs game, the hopes for this season and the way to make sure that you take on the appropriate amount of leadership without taking too much on your shoulders, how important can that be as well? Yeah, it's very important because, you know, your primary job is to be a productive football player. But in this day and age, when you get labeled as a community person, a citizen that really helps contribute, then sometimes you do take on too much work and sometimes you get distracted with that work. So I think it's really important that, you know, players continue to realize their number one objective is to be a great football player for this team. Now, what goes into that? is the checkup from the neck up, that you're willing to look at yourself and be reflective and think, am I helping this team every every way I can? And sometimes that's selflessness on the field, selflessness off the field. But I think Justin Simmons is a player that's shown he can handle that pretty well, and I look for him to do that in the future. But I also think there needs to be leaders on this offense too. They're real, and, and you know what I'm talking about. There needs – just not in the headlines, just not – really for being famous, there needs to be a leader, a verbal and vocal and visual leader. We call it the three V's. Verbal, vocal, and visual, and lead this team. Not with deer staring in the headlights type look, but with a convicted, strong look that you can go lead this team and be, and, and be who you're supposed to be. Be who people are depending on you to be. And that needs to step up. That needs to step up on the offensive side of the ball. And if that happens, then the Broncos have a chance this year to be competitive. If it doesn't, I think we're going to look at a year much like last year in terms of the wins and losses. Sean Payton was saying today that he's more focused on what he doesn't want to see Friday night against Arizona than what he does want to see. And I'll read you the quote, and I want your reaction to it. I don't want to see uniforms off after we're done playing with sunglasses on and Gilligan hats on and interviews during the game. That's what I don't want to see, but we will communicate all of that. Yeah. Well, first of all, I, I don't like it from the standpoint is when you focus on what you don't want to do, the brain goes there. Focus on what you want your players to do. Have a structured have structured practice, structured game plans, structured accountability throughout the building then they won't do that kind of thing. They will have already communicated to the team. You don't pull your pads off. You keep them on until that till the final zero goes off on the scoreboard. You don't take. You don't put your hats on. You don't put your sunglasses on. A team that wins has wins in training camp. They win during the week. They don't win necessarily on Sunday. And it's accountability, structure, and discipline. Those three things. And if they have those three things, then the head coach shouldn't be focused on that. He is the setter of the climate and culture. Climate's right now, culture's over time. He establishes that every day, he should at least, every day with the way he deploys and has his coaches lead. Coordinators, position coaches, staff members. 
That is communicated in their expectations and their role expectations every day. That's not something you look at on Friday night during the game. That's something that's communicated throughout the week, how we hold ourselves, how we present ourselves, and then the players naturally respond to that. You can't tell me that teams were led by Vince Lombardi or some of the great accountable discipline coaches. There was no question how they acted. There was no question how they presented themselves. And someone might say, oh, is that 50, 60 years ago? Yes, but it still works to this day. There are coaches that very clearly communicate to their players their role expectations, their role adherence, and then they have a chance to perform at peak levels. You see, organizational performance is no different for Google and Apple or the Denver Broncos. It's an organization at a core level, and if you have structure and accountability and discipline, then you don't even have to worry about that. That happens all on itself. So what I, if I'm Sean Payton, you focus more on organizational performance every day from the way you conduct yourself, comport yourself, the way your coordinators can comport themselves, the assistants, that will take care of that accountability instead of focusing on sunglasses and hats. Forget that crap. Set your everyday expectations and that'll take care. Process, what people need to understand this, Outcome is a symptom of process. You know, people say, we got to win games. We know that. But the only way you win games is you take care of your process. Winning is a symptom of process. He is Dr. Rick Perea from think14u.org. That's think14, the number, for you.org. We'll be doing this all, all season long, Mental Mondays with Dr. Rick. So appreciate you coming in the studio and uh, sharing some of the insights. And especially, uh, welcome back from the uh, wonderful... And now amusement parkland of Kanta. <laughs> Thanks for having me, guys. It was a joy, but I'm glad to be back in the Mile High City. All right. Well, we'll be back in a bit. Bad news for the Denver Nuggets is one of their key reserves. Maybe even expect to be more key this year. Lost for the season. I'll explain next on Mile High Sports. Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar, presented by Superbook Sports. Download the Superbook app and start winning today at Superbook.com. Here's Sean and Sandy. When the world champion Denver Nuggets, that's right, world champion Denver Nuggets, that happened not all that long ago, it's real, world champion Denver Nuggets uh, will look to defend their title. We knew things were going to get tougher with losing Bruce Brown. I, I think as the season came to an end, people started to realize that was going to happen, and the idea would be, how do you fill it? And the answer is kind of by committee. Well, one of the guys, at least with the size and the basketball IQ that would have been able to maybe be able to chip in there was Vlatko Chanchar. Unfortunately, playing for Slovenia in one of the World Cup prep games on Friday, paired up with Luka Doncic, who I imagine the Mavericks are now sweating bullets about that. <laughs> uh, Chanchar landed uh, a funny off of a transition dunk, and unfortunately, he did tear his uh, left ACL. The 26-year-old will miss all of next season, more than likely, even given the minimal minutes that he had had. He averaged five points and 2.1 boards and was going to be in line to maybe have a, uh, a bigger role there with Bruce Brown and Jeff Green uh, moving along, especially the Nuggets who don't have a lot of size. Uh, it's not as if Chanchar was going to take over for Brown, but 
that one stings. And maybe again, uh, fortunately, they did get three rookies with experience in, in Julian Strother, and uh, it won't be Jalen Pickett with part of that, but also Hunter Tyson, who played yeah. kind of that same role. I, it I to was me that Tyson, Tyson who was is the guy in the summer league. Yeah, it was great in the summer league. Uh, all first team summer league, as a matter of fact, for whatever that's worth, but somebody's got to get it. It might as well be you. Well, and he he and Zeke Nash are the two guys I thought of right away who will have uh, an opportunity at more minutes, and they'll be fighting for that. Not so much roster spot, but but perhaps a spot in the rotation, uh, whether it's uh, the eighth man or the ninth man. Uh, I think, you know, you got Peyton Watson. Obviously, Christian Brown will be uh, the sixth man. Right. Uh, we'll, we'll see about Reggie Jackson and how, how he fits in. But uh, for Tyson, this is uh, a terrific opportunity, and, and for Najee as well. Yeah, uh, Najee, obviously, it makes a, a, a big fit there and sort of make or break for him. But you know, too Chanchar bad for Chanchar. Uh, uh, and I think a, a, a reminder that Nikola Jokic knew exactly what he was doing when he opted out of the World Cup. Yeah, especially given the wear ago. and tear uh, that he had put on the body, which, you know, obviously makes that more of a risk. But Chanchar had played a, uh, a new career high 14.8 uh, minutes per game in the regular season. That dropped off, obviously, in the, in the postseason. He did not play in the postseason. Uh, he didn't play, but the... Uh, but the, the role would have been expected to be expanded. So for the Nuggets, that makes things more difficult. Well, uh, that's Jeff Green gone, and that's Chanchar gone now. So yeah, uh, yes, their uh, their depth size, will be especially size wise. Yep. You know, at that yeah. six eight and above. Although I, I I'm not I, I'm not as short. concerned as you are about uh, their size slash rebounding uh, capacity because I, I I don't think they lost much if anything, really on the boards, strictly on the boards. And I think as long as you have Jokic, uh, you have two forwards who have uh, size and strength, uh, size with Porter, at sheer height, at 6'10", and looked to be a much improved rebounder during the playoffs. Mm, he did. And, and Gordon, who I think is a good, though not great, rebounder. And Jokic, I think, is the best rebounder in the game, uh, best passer in the game as good a score as there is in a game, uh, best rebounder there is in a game. Uh, and and on the defensive boards, I think he has gotten better. Um, on the offensive boards, um, you know, Moses Malone used to be famous for grabbing his own rebounds right, and, and putting them back in. Jokic doesn't miss that much, so there aren't that many rebounds to grab. And, of course, the Nuggets, I think, were the only team this year in the NBA to shoot better than 50% during the regular season. And they shot close to that during the playoffs. Their shooting percentage did not suffer a lot, if much at all, during the course of the playoffs. And they went 16-4. So it's it's tough news you feel for Chanchar as an individual, but uh, the Nuggets will be fine. It's also a, a, an expanded opportunity, even though a little bit shorter, but for, for Peyton Watson, who has the ability to guard oh, multiple absolutely. positions. Uh, Watson absolutely. maybe gets the next crack at essentially being the backup four, even though Watson he does not have the side. Jeff Green. You know, right. So, I mean, that's Jeff what Green was most. Yeah. Right? But, I mean, I, the point is kind of there. Bruce Brown and Jeff Green are sort of now expected to be replaced by Christian Brown and Peyton Watson as best as, best as possible with a little bit of help from uh, Strother and maybe Tyson and perhaps even uh, – uh, 30-plus Justin Holiday, who I think has had, uh, is, is maybe an under-the-radar signing, By not way, a hyper-impactful uh, guy, but good depth. Have you traveled recently? You've been out to DIA 
recently? Uh, fortunately, I've avoided it of late. Okay. Last couple months. Uh, yeah. The new welcoming voice I discovered last night. Yeah. Is Michael Malone. There you go. Okay. You know, I, you I, know on the train, welcome to the Mile I High actually City. auditioned for that once. I actually submitted submitted for that once. Well, he beat you out. Yeah, he did. I mean, I get it. I get it. Plus, my, I don't understand why that. My take happen. was a little different because I actually recorded other things, and this actually happened, mind you. By the way, uh, I actually recorded other things that I thought maybe people would really fail. So I, I mean, I literally had the you know the doors are closing. You are stopping the departure oh, the of this train. Oh, no, but, good. No, so but, you're no, but, but actually, in charge of admonishment. I actually did. I actually said, uh, like, you, you, you're stopping the doors from closing. Oh, we had a few Everybody of Everybody on this time. train hates you. Please step right. inside the That's train. Right. Yeah, I mean, I literally sent that, but they didn't take it. I don't know why. Yeah. But when they had the, uh, you know, the quote-unquote open auditions, which were never really that, open, it was you know, just going to be Alan Rutgers, Tim I was but curious anyway. as to who it would be. Yeah. Because I figured it'd be a new voice. Right. I haven't traveled it's not gonna be michael uh, hancock through dia in a long long time and it wasn't going to be uh, michael hancock who's right. obviously not the mayor anymore so I, I i was i was thinking about it and i think bednar had it last year when the avalanche won mm-hmm. the cup and of course it's appropriate the michael Malone should have it now so yeah there the you only go. coach in town who's uh coming off a world championship season take so advantage of him. it not, while it you was can. not Dion. Yeah. It was not that Dion, I, I kind of in We're the not back there of my yet. mind thought it might be Dion, but Dion's gotta win some games. Michael Malone's won a championship. Yeah, so. we're we're a long way from Good that up in uh up in Boulder, but we will hear from Dion in a bit. But uh, uh we'll hear there's, from there's Dion and we'll discuss. talk about Dion. But boy, the uh who's uh I, I don't know if it's self awareness, uh but oh. some of the optic uh, uh, Urban indicators Meyer. seem mm. to elude him. Sometimes. Uh, <laughs> Sometimes. I don't know that I'd be uh, going on Twitter boasting about having Urban, Urban Meyer. Meyer in my midst. Look, even CSU isn't bringing Urban Meyer around anymore, and he used to work there. So, <clears throat> just or a, the legendary Sonny Lubick is yeah, there. Yeah, just a just a hint. Well, you know that they, they, they can't all be uh they can't all be hits. I guess. Yeah. As, well, no, I mean he was I pointed a very out on Twitter, good assistant a, um, coach. A rare miss for Dion to kind of focus. I mean, on it actually, I, I think at the time, as far as I know, oh, yeah. heard of some of the people he was coaching against. Unlike his experience in Jacksonville, mm-hmm. where he had clearly never heard of Aaron Well, he Donald, also recommended Steve Adazio player in football. to CSU, and that's the reason CSU dealt with that, and that set their program back a few years Exactly. Ago. Well, that was on also, CSU to listen to Urban Yeah, I should have known by then. Talk but. about Steve Adazio, who is not fit to be a head coach. Yeah, probably never will be again, so, you know, off you go. But, uh, yeah, uh, that move by Dion, I, I didn't um, – you don't have to grab everybody famous and bring him in necessarily. That that's not necessary to do. Well, he's more infamous than famous it, now. It seems like it now, but uh, his who reputation, knows? as they say, preceded him. And uh, I guess the there was a little moment of hesitation, and then the other assistants clapped dutifully. It, it was actually there funny. Was a there was there was hesitation you when can, he was entered as he stands. There's up, a video he waves, of it. He waves and, and it's not silent. An immediate reaction. And then somebody claps. You're like, oh yeah, we're supposed oh, to clap yeah, one. Like, all right. And like, yeah, yeah. everyone was going like, why is he? And of course, here? it's on Twitter. And yeah, it's just uh, 
Digestible social bad. media content. Yeah, that they haven't. Most of the ones for CU have looked pretty good. I think for the most part, it's been a big plus. That but, one left something. To uh, be that one did leave something to be desired. He had an opportunity to talk to the media on Friday and had some interesting uh, answers about the program itself, including, of course, uh, the fact that they are the uh, the snowball that caused the avalanche that continues to uh, absolutely rumble all over college football. We'll hear a little bit from Coach Prime next on My Life Sports. 